Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. I invite you to turn with me to Matthew 6. Last time I brought a message from the Sermon on the Mount, we covered Matthew 6, verse 9, the first verse of the Lord's Prayer. So today I'd like to look at verse 10. And you can trust me that as we continue this study, it's not going to go verse by verse. But as I looked at these verses at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, I see so many foundational truths that are important for us to understand and to have a grasp of because it influences how we view God and view ourselves in relation to God. It's Matthew 6, verse 10. Actually, let's just back up and and read verse 9 as well. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Here we petition God that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. I'd like for us to consider this morning what God's kingdom is. If we pray this prayer, what are we asking for? Do we understand what we're asking for? So I'd like to look at a number of references that tell us something about the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom. And I'm going to ask you to turn to these. I think that uh, I was going to just read them, but I think that as we turn to them and, and read these verses, it helps to fix in our minds what the kingdom really is. So first of all, I ask you to turn to Matthew 3. Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. It was predicted that before the Messiah came, that there was going to be a forerunner, one who would prepare the way. And we see that when John came, his message for the people was to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he was announcing that the kingdom of heaven was getting ready to come on the scene. There was getting ready to be a change. So he was announcing its arrival and preparing the people. But notice what he told the people that they need to do to prepare for the coming of this kingdom. 
he said that they needed to repent. So that was the, the preparation that the forerunner of Christ called the people to. So repent, because the kingdom is coming. Okay, Matthew 4, verse 17. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he says that the kingdom is at hand. It's, it's here now. And you notice that Jesus' message was the same as John the Baptist's, Repent. Because the kingdom is, is at hand, repent. Matthew 12. Verse 26. This comes following the Pharisees. Jesus had healed a man of blindness. And the Pharisees were accusing him of casting out, uh, of healing and casting out demons and stuff uh, through the power of Satan. And Jesus said, if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then, how shall then his kingdom stand? So we see here that Jesus was acknowledging that there's another kingdom. So he said at the beginning of his ministry, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now he's talking about Satan's kingdom. If his kingdom's divided, how can it stand? So God's kingdom, or the kingdom of heaven, is not the only kingdom that there is. Satan has a kingdom as well. And that is so critically important for us to realize. And it helps us to understand the fact that God is not just calling us to be good people. He's calling us out of another kingdom into his kingdom. Because of the fall of mankind into sin, we read that there in Genesis, because of, of Adam and Eve's sin and the effects that that brought on the entire human race, we're all doomed to be a part of Satan's kingdom. Unless we do what John the Baptist said, unless we do what Jesus said and repent, and gain entrance into God's kingdom. Colossians 1.13 says this, Who hath delivered us, speaking of God, who has delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. That verse defines the two kingdoms. It doesn't mention the kingdom of Satan, but it says he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Satan's kingdom is a kingdom of darkness. And he says he has 
translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And that translation or transferring from one kingdom to the other is brought about by surrender and repentance to God to gain entrance into his kingdom. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 3. Let me back up and read verse 2 as well. And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Here Jesus was saying that to enter into the kingdom of heaven, we have to be converted and become as little children. And that could be a discussion in itself, what that means to be like a little child. But I just want to point out the fact that he says, unless you are converted. So there's a change that must take place to enter into that heavenly kingdom. Turn back now to John chapter 3. John 3, 3 through 5. This is part of Jesus' uh, interaction, dialogue with Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus told Nicodemus that to enter... To, to, first of all, he says, to see the kingdom. And I think that this is maybe kind of my interpretation, but I think that where he says in verse 3, he cannot see the kingdom of God, I think maybe that's cannot understand or grasp, maybe. But for us to enter in and to understand, again, A change has to take place. And here Jesus says that we must be born again. Born of water and the Spirit. Not a natural birth, but a spiritual birth. Entrance into the kingdom is not automatic. And we see that the recurring theme in these verses that we've looked at is repentance, conversion, being born again. 
These are all speaking of a conscious decision that we need to make. To make a change, to leave Satan's kingdom and enter into God's heavenly kingdom. I'd like to turn then to John 18. This is when Jesus was on trial before Pilate. John 18, 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Jesus told Pilate, that he was a king, but his kingdom was not of this world. It wasn't a part of the world's system. In other words, it's set apart from what we have, what we see as far as kingdoms here in the, this earth. It's governed by a different set of rules than what the world has. And that's why the principles of God's heavenly kingdom often don't make sense. That's why many of the commands that we see here in the Sermon on the Mount make people say, that doesn't make sense. How how can that work? How can we love our enemies? How can we live in this world without pursuing the accumulation of wealth. It doesn't make sense because the rules of God's heavenly kingdom are different from the rules of Satan's kingdom, the kingdom of this world. The principles of the two kingdoms don't agree. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says, But the natural man receiveth not, or rejects, or doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. As I said, we're all born into Satan's kingdom. And our perspective is from that standpoint until we experience that change, that repentance, the conversion. And then our perspective changes to where we can see and we can understand. Our eyes are opened and we begin to understand and to appreciate the principles that God lays out in his word for his people, the members of his kingdom. And I say we begin to understand and appreciate because it's an ongoing understanding and appreciation. I just find God's word and his principles spelled out in his word to make more sense all the time. As I get older and as I observe life and as I observe people who live according to Satan's kingdom, 
and see how their lives turn out. It's so much easier than to look at God's word and say, you know, that might not make sense from the world's standpoint, but God has it right. And so it's an ongoing uh, opening of our eyes and understanding. We begin to continue to more fully understand and appreciate the principles of God's kingdom. So these references tell us some things that I think can help us to understand what God's kingdom is, how it's different. We see that the kingdom was introduced to us through the teaching of Jesus, I guess originally from John the Baptist, then the teaching of Jesus. We see Jesus' call for people to repent, to be born again, to enter into that kingdom. And we see that God's kingdom isn't alone. It exists along with or alongside of Satan's kingdom. We have two choices. And we also see the importance of a conscious decision of which kingdom we're going to be a, a, have our allegiance to. A lot more could be said about the definition of God's kingdom, but I hope that what I've shared is has helped you to understand, uh, renewed in your mind, that what God's kingdom is. So think back now to Matthew 6, verse 10, where we pray, Thy kingdom come. So we just talked about what God's kingdom is. So then we pray, Thy kingdom come. How does the kingdom of God come? What are we praying for? One possible interpretation, and as I thought back in my own experience, my own understanding, I think that this would have been kind of how I would have viewed it when I was younger. That when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're praying for uh, the consummation of God's kingdom. You know, we studied in Sunday school class today about... Satan being bound. You know, that final judgment where Satan is completely defeated and he's thrown into the lake of fire and sin is done away with. That could be at least a part of what we're, we're praying for when we say, Thy kingdom come that time in the future. But I believe that that's, that there's, that there's more to praying to God that his kingdom would come. God's kingdom, what I, I described as God's kingdom, is currently being advanced here on earth 
through God's people. It's being advanced through people who have surrendered their lives to Him, who have repented, who have experienced the new birth. They've been born again into that kingdom. And so I believe that this is a prayer that we as God's people would be faithful and would fulfill the purposes of God's kingdom here on earth. Thy kingdom come goes along with the next phrase, Thou will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And I thought it was interesting, I don't, didn't put this in my notes, but I read how that in the Hebrew setting, it was common to have two phrases coupled together. The first stating the, the main fact, and the second rewording basically the same concept in a different way. And the writer gave an, an example of a number of the Psalms, how they, they say that. Uh, I, should have, I should have written some of those down, and I didn't. But this thing of thy kingdom come, thou will be done in earth as it is in heaven, in a lot of ways it's saying the same thing. But how is God's will done on earth? As it is in heaven. As we think about as it is in heaven, how's God's will done in heaven? Well, it's done perfectly. There's no sin. There's no evil. There's no opposition to his will in heaven. Also in heaven, we see that God is given complete honor and reverence and worship. We have a number of places in Scripture where men had the opportunity to see a vision, see a glimpse into heaven. In Isaiah's vision, in Isaiah 6, he says that he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphims, each had one. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So we see there that it's a place of complete worship and holiness. So thou will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're praying for, that, that we would have that same degree of worship and holiness here on earth as there is in heaven. But here on earth, there's sin, there's evil working against God, working against God's honor and His will. So we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. We're praying that 
His will and His kingdom would overrule those sinful, evil things of the kingdom of this world. We're praying that He would receive the honor, the glory, the worship that He deserves. So I ask, how does that happen? Is it something that we pray for and then God makes it happen? Daniel, actually it wasn't Daniel, it was in the book of Daniel. When Nebuchadnezzar had his vision before he lost his mind and and was driven out and lived with the beasts of the field, the angel or the heavenly being that came to him in the vision stated that the kingdoms of the earth are God's and God sets up over them whosoever he wills. So that sounds like that God's will is accomplished on earth, doesn't it? It sounds like that we maybe don't even need to pray this. It's already happening. Well, God does have control of the kingdoms of this world. He does set up and take and depose who he wants. But this isn't we don't just pray this and expect God to take care of the rest. Because when we pray this, really it's a prayer of commitment to doing God's will. Because as members of his kingdom, we are his agents here on this earth. Doing his work, doing his will, demonstrating what it means to follow his principles. We can't just pray this prayer and sit back and wait for God to make it happen, so to speak. We've got to do our part. We've got to follow the principles of his kingdom. And display to the world around us what that means to live that way. It means committing ourselves to living out His will. We're praying for His will. Then if you pray for His will to be done, you need to be living His will in your life. Living according to the principles of God's kingdom, not the kingdom of the world in the old testament we see where see how god chose out a nation to be his holy chosen people and they were to be set apart they lived by different standards than the people around them they lived according to the law that God had given through Moses. And it was vastly different than how the people lived in the land of Canaan where they went and settled. 
Now Jesus was ushering in a new age or a new kingdom. He says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This kingdom isn't an earthly kingdom like the nation of Israel. It's not a group of people with a king over them living in a certain geographic area. But it's a heavenly kingdom whose citizens live here on earth all over the face of the earth serving our king in heaven. So if we're sincere about praying for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, we're going to take seriously the commands of Jesus, our king. We're going to take seriously what he lays out for us in his word. And endeavor daily to live according to his kingdom principles. So we can be advancing his kingdom here on this earth. There's some who feel that it's the Christian's duty to be involved trying to reform society through legislation, through activism. But I think it's clear that our duty, our first and foremost duty as members of God's kingdom is to live according to the commandments of the kingdom. Because in doing so, we will be advancing God's kingdom here on earth. God's kingdom isn't advanced through force. It's not advanced by trying to force the kingdom principles on unwilling participants. But it's advanced through people truly living out those standards in their own lives, demonstrating the blessings of following those principles. If you look back in history, you'll see that some of the most significant advances in God's kingdom were not brought through force, such as times like the Crusades, where so-called Christians were going and taking the gospel message by force and slaughtering those who opposed them. But the times that the kingdom advanced tremendously were times of persecution, times of struggle and opposition, It was times where those living out the kingdom principles did it in spite of fierce opposition. And that's because that's how the kingdom works. The kingdom principles show as we live them out 
no matter what. If we're living by the standards of God's kingdom, we're going to portray a very different life than those around us living for the kingdom of this world. And that demonstration of how we live is going to speak a powerful message. And I'm not saying we should never speak a word of testimony, a word of witness to others. But a verbal witness is only as good as the life that backs it up. If a salesman wants to be effective in what he's selling, he needs to believe in it. My dad just bought a Subaru. Went with him one day to talk to the salesman. And I'd done just a little research about the drivetrain. Started asking questions. And that salesman could answer my questions because he drove a Subaru. And he believed in it. If he was driving a Toyota and he hemmed and hauled when I asked the questions, I would have had serious reservations. But he believed in the product he was selling. So our witness is only as good as the life backing it up. If we tell our neighbors, our co-workers, or anybody else about the gospel, about the gospel of the kingdom of God, the heavenly kingdom, and our life is not backing it up, we're not living according to the principles laid out for us, we're not going to be doing much to advance God's kingdom. So how do our lives line up with kingdom principles? We as conservative Mennonites do appear different to a certain extent than most people around us in society because we're adhering to some principles in God's word that for the most part a lot of other people have thrown away or disregarded. But if that outward appearance is all that's different, we aren't doing our part to promote the kingdom. If those who observe us see us pursuing the same things as people of the kingdom of this world, we'll only appear differently outwardly, but really when they look at us, they're going to see somebody who really lines up more with the kingdom of this world. So we need to ask ourselves individually, is my life truly portraying the principles of the kingdom that I'm praying that God would advance? To sincerely pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, we must be living according to his his commands, or we're praying hypocritically. So thy kingdom come, thou will be done in earth as it is in heaven, is really a prayer of surrender. 
It's a surrender to God's will, to his principles. Yes, it's about God. It's about his kingdom. But in so many ways, it's about me. It's about what I'm doing to promote the kingdom. It's also a recognition that God's will is far greater than my own will. I'm saying, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will. It's a recognition that his way is best. And indicating my willingness to surrender. To surrender my will to his will. The only reason that God's will is not fully accomplished here on earth as it is in heaven is because of sin, because of sinful mankind. When Adam and Eve sinned, if God would have just destroyed mankind, he could have had a perfect world. He could have done away with sin there, but he chose to let us live with a sinful nature. He gave us a way to make that choice, to leave that sinful kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, and join the heavenly kingdom. So if we want God's will to be done, we have to get self and sin out of the way because that's what's hindering God's kingdom. And it has to start with me. I can't pray this and expect everybody else to surrender God's will and and it's all going to be peaches and cream after that. I have to. We each have to. So my challenge to you this morning is that we would pray these words in sincerity and surrender our lives to him so that each one of us can be effective agents in advancing God's kingdom in this sinful world. We can be a demonstration to those who have not yet made that decision to be a part of the heavenly kingdom. We can demonstrate the blessing that God has for those who are willing to surrender and be a part of his kingdom. May we have a song.